Oh dear, it's VAR again. Yes, VAR and referees' decisions. Also, we talk about a bit of football as well. The defeat to Brighton, the draw against Napoli, and what's coming up on the horizon, Burnley and also Millwall. Strap yourselves in, it's for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby. And Rob, how is your blood pressure? What are we, 99, 98%? My blood pressure's all right. It's, uh, yeah. we've, we've had a lot to take in since we last spoke, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, re- I'm reasonably steady. Um, but that might change based on the, the course of the conversation in the next hour or so. I think my anger shakes have just started to subside. They might be back in the next 15 minutes or so. I think they might be. And I'm pretty sure everyone knows what we're referring to. So we've got two very interesting games to discuss. The Napoli game at home, full of incident, full of drama, full of events on and off the field, and ultimately a 2-2 draw. And then we have the game against Brighton. Right, let's just go straight into... And if you're fed up, and we've said this a few times actually, if you're fed up actually with hearing about penalties and decisions and all that sort of thing, because that's all you've been talking about over the last 24 hours, then just fast forward the next 10 minutes, because this is where we're going to get it off our chest and then move on with proceedings. I think that's probably the best way really uh, to go about this. So first of all, Rob, um, I will just um, read you something. Uh, First of all, if I can actually bring it up on my screen, Law 11 uh, from IFAB Laws of the Game for this season say that the player in an offside position at the moment of the ball is played or touched by a teammate is penalised on becoming involved in active play by, among other things, preventing an opponent from playing or being able to play the ball by clearly obstructing the opponent's line of vision. Now, I am the first one to say Leicester have had a few that go uh, that have gone for them. Norwich this season uh, I think one against Wolves we've had, we've had a, a few but two wrongs don't make a right they're different games, different seasons oh that happened, remember that in 2019 oh sorry well, okay yeah, let's let's do that with VAR I mean it was a shambles we'll come on to actually the Leicester performance but we'll just go on to about these first up the penalty what in all that's holy was the person watching or doing at Stockley Park. I'll tell you what they were doing. They were watching the Man United game because they weren't bothered about this. To miss that is dreadful. And for a possible excuse to be they were checking the handball. Well, it doesn't matter whether the guy the ball has hit the guy's hand if he's being fouled. It's so obvious that there has to be a reason. That's what that's the way I am at the moment with this. There has to be a reason why they decided at Stockley Park to decide 
do you know what? We're not going to overturn this. Now, the only thing I can think of is because, you know, there's not conspiracies or there's anti this, that and the other. That's just nonsense. But the only thing I can think of for this incident, Rob, is that the person, Peter Banks, who was working at Stockley Park as the VAR official, he was told, was this handball or not? The referee has obviously not seen the foul. The linesman or the assistant referee near side has not seen the foul. Obviously, he's seen the handball. Now, is this a handball or not? It's gone to Peter Banks. He's looked at it and gone, yes, it is handball. The ball is his hand. It's handball. Now, he's obviously not got the kahunas, to use a different want of a better word, to say, by the way, there is a foul as well. Now, if he's not got the ability to say that, he should not be at Stockley Park. And the problem is, he will be at Stockley Park again. That's just a massive problem. If he can't do the job right, if he's scared to overturn a decision and say, oh, by the way, guys, you've missed this, then he shouldn't be in his job. Because that is... And, and people will turn around, oh, it's, it's an error. Oh, it's a bad error, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it's a mistake. Yeah, but that should not happen because it was the most it was clear as day, and if they can't pick out that, then they shouldn't be in the job. And that's and that might sound harsh, but we're talking about Premier League football. Yeah, and VAR was brought in to eradicate exactly this kind of error. I don't know whether it was because they were a little bit hesitant to change a decision for a second time because the referee on the field had initially given a corner. And then the assistant, he's gone over and had a chat with the assistant. And the assistant said, well, it's hit his hand. It's it's going towards the goal. It's handball. And I can see how two officials on the field of play would come to that conclusion. That's fine. There is no disputing the fact that the ball has hit Vestergaard's hand. None whatsoever. Everybody could see that clear as day. But the whole point of var and i know we we speak as spectators as supporters that we want it to not slow the game down too much but for incidents like that the whole point is that the video assistant referee can watch multiple angles at multiple speeds from whichever start and end point they like for as long as they need to to make sure that that decision is 100% accurate and that just cannot have happened because of um, in, if you if you look at the decision that was eventually made, because VAR is also not in 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 the way that I understand it, not supposed to work the same way as rugby, the TMO, the television match official. My understanding of them is the on-field decision is then put to the TMO and said the on-field decision is a try. For example, have you got anything to? to counter out that have you got clear evidence to say that's not a try in which case we will overturn it but if you've not got clear evidence we go with the on-field decision my understanding of var is if a fully qualified premier league referee like peter banks is watching multiple video replays of that incident and if he's not seen it the the pull on vestergaard then he's an absolute moron and if he has seen it and he's not said anything, then my previous point still stands. He's an absolute moron. It's his job to see that. And it's not his job to say handball or not handball, regardless of what conversation the referee's having. My understanding is that they have a conversation between the two of them 
probably with the assistants involved as well. I'm sure that they're all queued in, uh, wired into the same communication. And they come to a team decision with the support of the video assistant referee who has the benefit of replays. Is Vestergaard's arm in an unnatural position? Well, really, I was thinking about this as well, you know, when, when you're talking about that kind of terminology. For me, seeing defenders have to put both of their arms behind their backs whenever they think the ball's coming anywhere near them, for me, that's unnatural. And any other time, if your arm is out of your side a little bit, it's for balance. Uh, you don't run with your arms by your side. That's unnatural. So you can't sort of twist your body weight or or sprint a couple of yards to change direction in the penalty area without your arms out. And in this case, if we're talking about jumping, then uh, Mope's got full on a full arm of, of Vestergaard pulling him down on one side. Naturally the only way that he's going to get any kind of elevation and try and get himself at least an inch or two off the ground is by pulling up the other side that's not being pulled and reaching up and trying to get himself up in the air. He's not trying to bat the ball away. He's not trying... How on earth is he going to have the reaction time to block a header that comes straight at him? It, it's, it's just... It's, it's an absolute joke. It really is. We'll, we'll come on to reaction times in a second, but he's, he's got his arm in the air as well. Uh, because he's appealing for the foul, he, he's he's being dragged down. His arms go. Look at this, and the balls then hit his out because it's so obvious, and that's the point. It is so obvious that there has to be a reason why it's not being given. If they claim that they have not seen it, that's a lie, because there's no way that Peter Banks and also he's assisted by a guy called Wade Smith. How they have not missed this because it was so obvious. They've decided for some reason that it's not a foul or they've decided that we can't overturn this because they daren't. There has to be something. It's it's absolutely ludicrous because it is so obvious. So when we come back and looking at the game as a whole from a Leicester point of view, when you get onto the football, you go one down. The next disallowed goal, or should I say the first of the two disallowed goals, I think now this is the one where everyone's kind of going, maybe because there's so many decisions, you can't just go, right, three massive errors. It's if you're looking at that rule that I mentioned earlier and you're going to apply this and you apply it to what Leicester have had already from, say, Norwich this season, then you would go, okay, I still think it is quite harsh, but Barnes was in the eye line of the goalkeeper, but in in reality... It's not. It's it should still be a goal, but because of, you know, that's the rule. And okay, fine, not a problem. Move on. That's what we would say now after the game, purely because it's the second goal, isn't it? It's the second goal, the Wilfred and Didi header. Again, I thought on match of the day two, just got it, got it bang on, didn't they? Sharon and and uh, Dion Dublin. How they have decided. That Harvey Barnes, first of all, is he in eye line? No. Is he blocking the ball, the view of the goalkeeper, from where the header came from? No. He's he's actually, he's not even that close. You know, you're talking a, a few yards. He's not having to bend out the way or move or anything. And what Dermot Gallagher said on Sky Sports earlier today was 
not only he was lying, you could tell because his voice went really low and soft and quiet because you could tell he was lying. He didn't believe in what he was saying. He he says, Harvey Barnes, and he goes, look there, Harvey Barnes is going towards the ball. He's making an attempt to, he's moved towards the ball. This is a bullet header from about five yards out that no one, including the goalkeeper with a clear vision, could actually react to before it's gone by him. And when he says that, he's lying. He's completely lying. How the presenter hasn't pulled him up and gone, hang on, Dermot, you're talking nonsense. So if that's the sort of if if that's a if that's the sort of level we're talking about here, it's no surprise that the VAR officials again the linesman he's got his flag up. Harvey Barnes, you're you're in a very similar position to what you were before. So l- referee assistant line up uh, flag up, not a problem. Referee again, referee kind of innocent in this kind of thing. And then it goes to v- you know, VAR. They should look at that and go, do you know what? That goal we disallowed earlier, this is not close to that. This is different. This is a bullet header. He's nowhere near. The goalkeeper's not complaining. It's This is a goal. So for them to go, do you know what? This is exactly the same as the one before, is, again... Frankly, I can't believe it. I've I've got a few, few people I know actually who have who have said, "Oh, it's it's dead similar." No, no, it's not. N- not at all. Not at all. There's that one camera view from directly behind when Ndidi heads the ball that he had a match the day too. It's it's a goal. It's a goal. It's an equaliser. And uh, yeah, again, not how how that's been disallowed. Now, what will happen now is first of all, Barnes. You can't do that now. No no player, in my opinion now, should be near the goalkeeper at all in the six-yard box from any free kick or corner. Because if they are, they are now deemed to be impeding the goalkeeper or in his eye line. If he's standing next to the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper... If he's standing to the goalkeeper's left, literally next to him by a yard, and the ball goes to the goalkeeper's right from a bullet header, that now is impeding the goalkeeper according to these decisions so that's a place that you cannot stand from a free giggle corner again i cannot believe that was not given um and if people turn around and say look he's in the way again that's just nonsense it's that's just a lie and if people want to tread that then i think they're trying to do it to either wind people up or well if it happened against their club they would be the first people to and that's that's crazy you can't go about um, saying uh, an obvious thing is not or something that has happened didn't because if you're doing that in your life then you, you're going to make uh, you're going to you're going to that's a really weird way of going about things so in my opinion there's two massive errors the penalty is a complete mess this header as well I and, and, and also just just to round off I think because of what happened before because of the previous disallowed goal there's more reason why this is actually a goal because of what I said, because it's nowhere near that first Lookman goal that was ruled out. Surely they've not just gone, oh, it's the same goal because it's not. It's nowhere near the same. So that's even more reason why I can't believe they didn't give it. And uh, and, and there you go. And it will happen next weekend. Guaranteed. There'll be a shot with a player nowhere near the shot, but in an offside position. And you go, and it, and it'll count, and you go. Well, what's the difference? They're, they're making a rod for their own back. It's very simple that rule. It's a very simple rule, and yet they're making it so complicated that now that goal that's just been well the Indeedy header 
will now be brought up time and time again to go, look, there you go. And it will mean that no player can be anywhere near the goal because probably that's what they wanted in the first place. If people are saying it to wind you up, then they're not going to have to try very hard to to get you, are they? That's uh, <laughs> that, that. I feel like this is a good kind of therapy session for us. Um, oh, it is. This is I, the end I, of it. This is this is the end. Largely, I agree. Well, yeah, I, I mean, totally, I agree with you. Uh, the first disallowed goal, I can see more so why it was disallowed. Although I'm not convinced if you plucked Barnes out of there and moved him anywhere else on the pitch I'm still not convinced the goalkeeper saves it but by the letter of the law you can see more so why it was disallowed the second one the only thing I can think and I'm I'm definitely definitely not making a case for the officials um making a correct decision here because I am I, I totally agree with you it's a it's a perfectly legitimate goal um and one that I think we'll discuss in a few minutes' time, one that Leicester probably deserved on the balance of second-half play. Um, but I think the only thing that they maybe were looking at was Barnes did... And, and Sanchez, the keeper, had a bit of a jostle as the corner came in. Now, there is nothing foul in, in that sort of little exchange. The keeper just wanted a bit of elbow room. He was leaning on Barnes. Barnes was holding his ground fine. And obviously you can't be offside from a corner because it's literally taken from the byline. No issue. And then obviously the Brighton um, players who were on or around the posts have stepped out pretty swiftly to make sure that their goalkeeper... I mean, essentially, really, to make sure that if there is anybody in there who was doing what Harvey Barnes was doing, which you said teams are going to have to be very careful about now, the Brighton defence stepping up to just about the edge of the six-yard box gives the goalkeeper that opportunity because obviously no uh, no opponent can be in that area or well they can't now if they're applying the law like that but I think just because they've had that little jostle as the balls come in but they're not jostling at all when the Ndidi header connects and Barnes is absolutely nowhere near the goalkeeper's line of vision you can see very clearly in that camera angle that you referred to the ball the goalkeeper's eyes, you can see those, and you can see Barnes not anywhere near his eye line. Barnes, as you said again, Pete, can't react in time to make a make a make an attempt to play the ball. And Didi's header is not even close to Sanchez. It's, it's travelling at pace. There is no way that they can disallow that well obviously there was because they did but what I wonder actually finally on this and I think we need to move on and talk about actual football after after this but I wonder if the people at Stockley Park are actually watching the game live or if they are sitting there with it on having a bit of a chat cup of tea whatever and then only springing into action when the officials from the actual match get in their ear because, for me, the referees are soon going to be on the field, are soon going to become obsolete because VAR was not never supposed to take anything away from their sort of authority on the game. But, correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't see the referee in yesterday's game against Brighton once go and review anything. And, no. and, and no. he, he's seen it in real time. He's seen it once, granted, and, and the reason VAR is there is to help if they need to see it again. But he's seen it in real time. He's got a context of everything that's happening in the box at the time. 
he knows everything. He's the closest man possible to all of the action. So surely he is best placed to make a final decision on that. And he should go and check the monitor and say, you know what, that tallies up with what I saw. Fine, I'll give the decision. Or, you know what, actually, what you're saying in my ear doesn't really match what I thought I saw. I'm going to come and have a look. It's almost like they're being blindly led by people that are watching on screens. And for me, you might as well, if you're going to do that, you might as well just take the referee out of it and beam up whoever's on in Stockley Park up on the big screen in the stadium and they can blow the bloody whistle through the tannoy. It's, it, it doesn't make sense for the referee to not have the final say on the decision and be told what to say. It doesn't make sense to me. Absolutely. And also... It makes more sense for a referee to go and look at a monitor on a decision like this because, as you said, they've seen it in real time. They've got the experience of being in that penalty area or watching the incident. So you're you're talking about are they in an eye line of the goalkeeper? Are they interfering with play? Well, if a referee, first of all, might have an opinion straight away or either for or against, come and have a look. They're the best person to decide that. If they're looking for has the ball at the hand, well, that's something that Stockley Park can look at. Yes, because it's yes or no. Yes, it, it, it has hit the hand. So go on, carry on with your decision. No problem. Is there a foul? Has the ball gone out of play? Whatever. But this, this means, oh, right, two chaps sitting, Wade and, and, and Peter Banks, they're sitting there, oh, is that guy in the way? Well, he's close to the action. And if we slow this header down, well, yes, it goes by him by a couple of yards away. So probably it's, they don't, don't realise it's a, a bullet header. They don't, they're not looking at the goalkeeper. And if the referee comes over to the touchline, he's surely going to be thinking, well, that was a bullet header. So unless he's standing directly in front of the goalie, he's not interfering with play at all. And he'll look at the replay and go, no, that's that's not interfering with play. The, the first one, OK, but not this and and there you go. I, 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 for one, I completely agree, Rob. If the referee was told to go and have a look at the incident, I'm sure he would have said, oh, that's a goal. That is a goal. Because quite clearly, this rule is not applied to this. It doesn't, it doesn't apply. It's, it's, it's fine. So it's, it's bonkers. But anyway, we'll, we'll go on to, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that there. But if you haven't seen, by the way, that um, it's on Sky Sports News. If you haven't seen what Dermot Gallagher, when they go over all the decisions, I've retweeted it and I've said a few things. And um, it's on the uh, at uh, FFS pod as well, our for Fox 8 podcast uh, Twitter feed. Me at Pete Selby, if you want to have a look on that one as well, we can see what I've said. Dermot Gallagher is lying. He And you can tell. He's, he's basically saying, look, this is what happens. Look at this. And that's not what's on screen. Look at his head. It moves. No, it doesn't. He's, he's essentially lying to try and cover for his mates. It's it's um, it's terrible, really. And uh, and the presenter, I can't remember, isn't it? he's the guy who's always on in mornings and that. Oh, yeah, 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 fine. Now, he's probably not even listening to what he's saying. So I can kind of give him a bit of a pass. But it should have been picked up, really. But anyway... Uh, go and take a look at that because that'll wind you up as well. But anyway, we'll move on. Uh, it, it wasn't a, obviously the result we wanted, and you can look at that of what happened in the second half. It, talk about a game of two halves, though, Rob. I mean, they started they started okay, but poor once again, poor. 
caught out with the header for the it was a good header for the free kick um over Vardy from Welbeck that obviously the penalty though so it's really difficult this game because you look at the results and people have you know oh yeah but you know we're only mid table and we've lost away at Brighton but they don't score the first goal in the game without the penalty um the the header does does that happen well I don't, I don't quite know but they were on top certainly and Leicester were were very poor in the first half and then it wasn't until substitutions were made and Madison's obviously not on form at the moment at all and he really needs to be dropped he, he he can't be playing now we've we've now gone past the um the point of the season where the established players in the first team squad are now picked because of what they've done in the past or their hierarchy the hierarchy of the of, of the team which everyone has every squad has so it's time for him to now be right you've got it you've got to step down to the bench because you're just not in form at all now he might play in the week that could be an option i think it i think it should but then you bring on lookman who has looked good since he's been at the club and he looked really good against brighton um that partnership with Pereira down the right looks really exciting, really exciting. Now, how they can adapt to play with each other um, week in, week out, not for a half when you're really putting pressure on a team who have sat back, uh, we'll wait and see. But then again, if you're playing two home games on the bounce, then they're two games where you could really say to them, look, you two are going to play on the right and we'll slightly move over in Didi or, or if you're playing Samara in midfield again we'll just give you a little bit of cover but that's going to be one of the main attacking outlets so I think Lookman needs to start from the start um, with Vardy and also with Barnes also then you look at Kelechi Inacho it's now got to the point where he, he needs to be given more game time now if that's going to be off the bench it needs to be more than just the 15 minutes or so he's given he came on Exactly 75 minutes gone, so he had a 15-minute impact. I thought he played well against uh, Napoli. Lovely through ball for Barnes. Now, where does he play? Is it a simple thing of playing him with Vardy like we had before? So he plays as the number 10. So you go back to your traditional formation, and it's just a light-for-light swap. That could easily be the case. Not a problem. You can still play Luckman out wide. But I think now you've got to that point where... They need to start playing players because of their form rather than where they are in the hierarchy of the squad. There's obviously problems at the back. Huge loss with Evans going off against Napoli. I must admit, when that happened, it kind of caught me out, even though I was at the game doing the commentary. Because so much was going on, etc. Um, him being replaced, I didn't catch it as an injury. So that was really disappointing news. And, and hopefully, with this problem he's got, it's not a problem that keeps him out for so long that he then takes ages to come back and play because that's not been the case with this injury so far. It looks like it's just one of them things where all of a sudden it's kind of okay and then he can play. Um, and hopefully he can get over it because without him, they really are slightly rudderless at the back still. Vestergaard's had a, a rocky period, very unlucky with the goal. But... He he is still that slight common influence on Soyuncu, who's still not up to full um, full flow at the moment. Hopefully he will. But yeah, the, the, there's problems in the team at the moment, Rob. Even though, I mean, that last twenty minutes or so just bombarded 
Brighton. But what more can you do? You know, you score those goals. They're not given. Um, they they could easily have come out of that game with three points. Who knows? Who knows? So it's not. I'm not being really down on the side, but I'm thinking. I'm, I'm saying now for me, I'm going change the side, bring those players in. This this is kind of the tipping point, really. Yeah, it's an opportunity for for change. And I think the fact that Leicester are playing midweek and weekend every week for what looks like forever now, um, then that gives those players who are pushing for a start in what you would say the first eleven in the Premier League, it gives them a chance to give themselves put themselves even more so in Brendan Rodgers' thoughts. The you know when we when we started the Brighton game, first five or ten minutes, I was looking at it, going, flipping out, we're on it here. You know, we 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 um, played in a very sort of frenzied game against Napoli in midweek. The uh, the 1-0 defeat to Man City was was entertaining and, and it was toe-to-toe for quite a long period of time. Um, and I thought, right, this is the opportunity to get back to winning ways uh, and get right back at it. And I thought Leicester were really at it first five or ten minutes. And then Brighton just got a measure of, of Leicester's shape. They tweaked theirs slightly, as Graham Potter likes to do quite often throughout the match. Uh, and they got control. It, it was interesting first 10 minutes because I was quite surprised because Brighton, I think um, the stat was at the start of the game that only Manchester City had had a higher average uh, percentage of possession so far this season. So Brighton have had a really good start to the season. We've got to say that. But if Leicester managed to ride out the last half an hour of the first half and get to half time at nil-nil, which they should have done, you would argue, because that decision shouldn't have stood for the penalty. Then they come out second half after a kick up the backside and a tweak from Rodgers, which was get Madison off the field and bring on Luckman, who can actually do stuff. Um, that's my technical football jargon for you. Um, then I think it's a, it's a it was clearly a completely different game, um, and we played well for large proportions of the second half. The, the goal was fantastic, beautiful, beautiful interplay down the right-hand side. Tielemans with that measured ball into the far post. A few of his had gone a little bit astray, but he, he timed that first time guiding into the back post and you know who's going to pop up there and put it in. And I, I think really from there, there was only going to be one side that scored again. And obviously we did twice. Um, one of them, we can kind of see why it was ruled out. One of them, we definitely can't. Uh, and you come away with a 2-1 defeat and Brighton march on and, and remain, what, top four or something after one of their best starts to a Premier League season ever. Uh, and Leicester are left sort of lagging behind a little bit in mid-table. It's not time for any kind of uh, crisis talk or anything like that because the performance levels um, in large patches haven't been uh, worthy of, of having a bit of a downer on them. But totally agree. It was interesting that Leicester went 4-3-3. Um because it's kind of like trying to fit Madison in, even though Leicester wanted to change shape. Because I can kind of see him playing on the right-hand side and, and the idea that he would drift in and allow Ricardo to go around the outside. It's a similar, in some ways, to Iose Perez. But if you're playing a front three, if you're playing 4-3-3, you want somebody who's going to do what Barnes does down the left on the right. And that's exactly what Luckman did. But what Luckman's got as well is the ability to drift inside and make things happen that way. 
Um, he's not just a right-footed right winger who's going to try and beat his man on the outside, get to the byline. He came inside to allow Ricardo around the outside. It was those two that combined alongside Tielemans to get the goal back. And Lookman just slotted straight in and offered way more of a threat than Madison has done for months. And you can't keep giving him that much game time in the hope that it's going to click back and he's going to find his groove again. There are players now waiting in the wings. Pats and Dacker played um, when Leicester changed shape a little bit against Napoli. He played on the uh, as a sort of right-sided forward. That's clearly something that Rodgers thinks he can do. Whether he'd start him there in a Premier League game in a 4-3-3, I don't know yet. But that's an option if you want a sort of second proper goal threat on the pitch. I like, I quite liked the three in the middle with Ndidi as the sort of base and, and Tielemans allowed to dictate play from a little bit further forward. And Samare, box to box, he looks a, a good, good player and he deserved his start, I think, against Brighton. And Didi then can drop into the and form a bit of a back three as he did at times. He was that deep to allow the fullbacks to go forward a bit. It's quite a nice formation, but there's one player that doesn't fit into it. It's James Madison. And also Cleti Inacho, unless you're going to play him down the middle as the as the striker where Vardy plays. That's that's the juggling that, that Rogers has got. It's obvious to it's been obvious to many actually for the last eighteen months or so, a couple of years, that alongside Wilfred and Didi, we don't have, and it's not Tielemans fault, it's not the fault of the players, but we are slightly light in midfield, slightly weak. So he's obviously wanted a player like Samari to come in and be that box-to-box player to give help to Ndidi in the defence, also attacking-wise, but to have the physical strength as well to kind of toughen up that midfield. But the problem with Samari is that that's going to be three midfield and you you know, you can only have eleven players on the field. It's it's a it's a problem, and the problem, I, I really do think it revolves around Kletchi and Acho, because if you you could easily play Kletchi and Acho in the standard Leicester formation, absolute standard four at the back, the two in midfield of Ndidi and Yuri Tillemans, Barnes on the left, you could have Lookman on the right, and then Iacho and Jamie Vardy. That that could work, okay, and that would be my side against uh, or in in the next in the next home game uh, that would be my um, be my side the problem with that is obviously it's very attacking you know you do have to be careful you are playing burnley at home but that is a quite an attacking formation but also there's no sumare so he comes into the side you take out Kaleti and Acho, he comes in you got the three in midfield and then your forward three is barnes lookman and then in the middle vardy looks good looks very good but again, Kaleci Inacho is sat on the touchline, the top scorer of last season. And that's that's the problem. And I think if you're playing at home, I would like to see the first formation. And Samari can come on for Ndidi or, or however they want. Leicester, if they go up, let's say they go two goals up or whatever, and they, they're needing to maybe just solidify things or... or for, for whatever reason, you could then bring Samare on for any of those forward players, uh, apart from maybe the main main man up top, because that would be a like-for-like swap with probably Dakar. And then you could change into a, a three in midfield. Not a problem. I think starting that way would be something you'd be looking for maybe away from home. But as much as it was a, a fabulous goal, and we'll come on to Vardy in a sec, 
that they're not the the XG and whether people follow XG on Leicester are very poor, which means that they're not having plenty of chances um, away from the disallowed goals, but they're not creating many chances um, and they're not taking many shots at goal. It's it's um, which which I think is a fairly obvious thing to say, but it's there in stat form. And also, we're now not talking about two games. You know, the season is now underway, and Kalechi and Acho not only can get on the end of things in the penalty area and give help to Vardy, because even now, after all these years, there is still plenty of times during each game, I think, that Vardy is just so isolated when it comes to being a penalty box striker. He needs that extra player. And Kalechi Nacho, because of his career so far and when he was more of a number nine, he has that in him. But also... If you look back on the goals he scored last season, a lot of them are instinct, a turn and a shot from distance, a quick snatch goal, getting on the end, first time goal from across. He's that kind of player where out of the blue he can score when he's on fire, when he's very confident, which he still is, he's playing well. So I just think you can't, so you couldn't ignore Kaleci and Nacho last season. When he went on that run, he had to start every game and the formation changed. If the formation changes because one player is in such good form and it means you have to leave out one or two others, well, tough. That's football and it means that you're getting results. At the moment, it's working the opposite way round for Kletchi and Acho. We're not getting the results, but for somehow, for some reason, he's not being given the chance. That's... That's my kind. That's the, the the crux of my point, really. We're, we're somehow keeping a formation and a team together, yet he's not being given the chance. And yet, if he is given the chance and starts on a goal scoring streak, he will now be on the first name on the on the team sheet. I don't I don't quite get it from now on. Up until now, okay, I was surprised he didn't start this game. But from now on, I think he's he's he deserves the chance because of what we're seeing at the moment, but also because, quite frankly, he should really have probably been straight away in the team at the start of the season. I know that's kind of going backwards and looking back after a few games, but uh, but that's how it is. And, and we got the game against Millwall in the in the League Cup. Perfect example or, or a game for for him and for other players. Dakar more than likely to start... Um, and other players to come in and, 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 and change things around. And if they play well, well, there's no reason why they can't then play against Burnley. Because the, the run in the Premier League, I've just clicked on the wrong button. The run in the Premier League after uh, the Millwall game in the Cup, you've got uh, Burnley at home, you've got Crystal Palace uh, away, and then you've got Manchester United at home, Brentford away, you've started well, then Arsenal at home. So it it's not... That easy, because Palace away is going to be difficult. But this Burnley game all of a sudden becomes a not a must-win game, but they really need to sort things out and play with the the zest and the the fluidity that we know that they can play and the confidence as well. Because if they do that, they will beat Burnley. And they should beat them fairly handsomely. And then, then we'll go into the next game away at Palace and they can easily get something from Palace. And if they don't get anything from Burnley at home because of varied reasons, maybe VAR and officials, or because as well as Leicester played, there are some aspects of the game, maybe go down to 10 men or something that goes against them, then 
it's still not a complete disaster as long as they have that in them, as long as they have played well, like they did in the final half an hour. So, yeah, there's no, there's absolutely no worries or panic or whatever. I think this season of, of all seasons, it's become really apparent very quickly that the top four is going to be incredibly difficult unless something majorly wrong happens with those sides. United, eminently stronger now with Ronaldo. Chelsea and Man City are going to fight out for the title and Liverpool with Van Dijk at the back. It's going to be very difficult to see any side and I think any side in the Premier League to get probably within 10 points of those four. I think those those four, by the time we come around to March, April, are going to be well clear of the pack. So you're looking at Europa qualification already. So I'm not saying don't panic because that means that something's kind of going slightly, you know, going quite wrong. But yeah, don't worry. So it's not a don't panic, it's a don't worry. If you're looking at an ideal game to to go proper old school 4-4-2, then it's at home against Burnley, isn't it? Because you don't need to flood the midfield against Burnley because they play two central midfielders, two just genuine centre mids. So Leicester could play two genuine centre mids and they'd be better than them man for man. So there'd be no issue in the centre there. Burnley play with two wingers, so Leicester can play with two wingers. Burnley play with two fullbacks. Leicester can play with two fullbacks. Four, four, two. If you matched man for man on the pitch, you look at the, you compare the two squads, and there is absolutely nobody. Maybe some people might say Tarkovsky uh, in a, in our back four at the moment, just because of the slight wobbly nature of it, possibly. But by and large, the Burnley squad gets nowhere near the Leicester squad. If you match them up four, four, two. You say, go and win your individual battle. Leicester win the game comfortably. I know that makes football sound very simple, but sometimes it can be overcomplicated. You know, if you're absolutely desperate to play a certain style, or if you're absolutely desperate to stick to a certain shape, or you're absolutely desperate to play somebody even if they're not in form or that's not quite the position where they can most be be most effective, just play 4-4-2. Play two strikers, two wingers, two centre mids and a back four. And get on with it. That If there's ever a game to do that, it's against Burnley. Because you are not going to be trying to... You're not going to need to try and second-guess Sean Dyche's formation. You can name his team. You can name his 11 every week. It's it's bog standard. And it's beatable. The Millwall game, I think, will give players like maybe Thomas and, and Dewsbury Hall a chance to, to get some minutes in their legs. Maybe we'll see Chowdhury as well. You might... You might even see Papi Mendy if he's fit because it's literally the only competition that he can play in. Um, but I think the Millwall game is is one of its own and come the weekend, everything will be reassessed based on what happened against Brighton. And Ian Acho must be sitting on the bench getting a bit frustrated now. Patson Dacker looks lively. Vardy scored, obviously, against uh, a Brighton, fine. Madison can't start. He just can't start. He's got to be Luckman and Barnes. And I guess the only little niggle in the back of my mind now I've spoken so definitely about 4-4-2 is the fact that we looked very poor from set pieces, defending them particularly uh, against Brighton. And what are Burnley notoriously very good at? Set pieces. So... If you think about the fact that they're probably going to play Wood 
and Barnes up front, both big fellas, six foot plus. They've got two centre-backs in Tarkovsky and me who are both big fellas, six foot plus. If you are looking to match those up, you might need to put Samari in the team as well as Ndidi because those two plus the two Leicester centre-backs are going to have to mark those four, really. Because although Bertrand's decent in the air, uh, he's not man-for-man with a six-inch height difference going to be your best bet for that. And Leicester, I don't like the static kind of semi-zonal marking that we saw against Brighton. Not a fan of that either. If you match up man-for-man, you've got a job to do. If you don't do your job, that is your fault. You you challenge man-for-man to win your personal duels, just like I was saying with 4-4-2, you win them on the pitch, you win them in the air, you win them in set pieces. That's that's your job. I think if if you take Samari out of the team, you've got Suyuncu who's six foot, and then Ndidi and Vestigard who are just over six foot. And that's all you've got, because we are still a relatively small side in comparison. So that's the only concern I might have with that. But... 4-4-2, I sound like Mike Bassett, football manager. 4-4-2. Four, four, <laughs> yeah, uh, funny enough, on my um, kind of team I, I've, I've jotted down for it, um, I've got um, the, I've got also Samari with a question mark with height. Um, the only option I can look at is you could maybe bring Castagna in to play instead of Bertrand. So you still have the attacking right side bringing Castagna on the left and say, look, you know, you're you, cause, cause he's obviously very good in the air as well, just for that extra bit of height. Unless they, unless they turn around and go, well, you've got Ndidi, you've got the back two. So there's your three big men. Yes. They're going to have two forwards and then, and, and, and a defender to come in. But as you mentioned, man for man, there you go. It's, um, it's something that you've always got against, uh, against a side like that. It's, uh, it's it's something that you need to to bear in mind, but unless there was any a, a real toss up between one or two players, you know, and then you go actually we'll go with him because of their heights, then then I just think you'd go with your your natural side, and um, and I think bringing Castagna at left back would be absolutely fine, rather than have uh, rather than have uh, a Bertrand. But the <laughs> the game on Thursday, ah, oh dear me. I mean, what a game as well, the, the Napoli game. It, it promised a lot and it delivered a lot. There was the flags beforehand, um, the atmosphere. The, also, the way that they... they um, and because of the competition itself, it, it, it was always going to be the case that certain season ticket holders were going to be moved because of the the edging around the, the pitch. I'm still not too sure why that's the case. It, it seems just a bit needless, really especially this day and age, it may be in certain grounds that have had problems. We'll come on to that in a minute. But there's, um, I, I just think it's, uh, it, oh, it's an automatic thing we do in the Europa League. Why? Uh, not entirely sure now, actually. All oh, right, okay. So why we're we doing it? It just seems completely pointless. So, because um, it's not for any sponsorship reasons at all. It, it just it seems needless. But because of that, it meant that people were moved around, etc. And the way that the tickets were released, it meant that quite a few became available on general sale. So there was a real kind of mismatch of people in different areas, which was good. It was great. And you're playing against a side who have just beaten Juventus 2-1, who are flying in 
in Syria, and it was a game which I actually hoped it would be. It was full of incidents, full of good play from both sides. Napoli overall, they dominated, didn't they, in terms of their shot count, in terms of overall possession, which was always pretty much going to be the case. But I thought Leicester actually, a lot of people said Napoli dominated. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I know they had a few, they also had more chances, but overall the flow of the game, it wasn't like we were on occasion kind of clinging on, but it wasn't a massive siege mentality like it was for Brighton, say, against Leicester at the weekend. That was more complete bombardment. This was still, Leicester looked incredibly dangerous on the counter-attack. And first goal was a really good goal, wasn't it? Barnes down the left. Perez, who started the game absolutely on fire. Real live wire. And that all fizzed out after about 20 minutes, didn't it? Just burnt himself out. Good finish, good goal. And and it was European Knights are back. They're obviously a very good sign. Insignia's great. And they're players that they brought off the bench as well. Um, likes of Jesus, etc. They, they, were, they were really good, really strong. And that was the overall deciding factor, I thought, in, in them actually getting back into the game. Uh, a very, very strange, though, decision, Rob. And I think you, you would be better better place to kind of answer this because obviously I was at the King Power doing doing the job and everything and um, the offside for for Pat Sindaka's goal really good move really good control by um, first Kletia Nacho I think it was uh, Madison before that and then Daka with the finish but as it was being because there was no indication in the ground that it was going to be checked and you, as you know we've got screens there and because there was no real indication it was going to be checked, we kind of really weren't paying attention to the screens. But when I glanced at the screen, there was a red line and a blue line, which I just presumed was going to be the red line for, you know, for Napoli and the blue for Leicester because of the kits. And that seemed to be matched up on the screen. And then the the goal was disallowed. I thought, hang on, the lines were the other way round. It, it didn't actually look like he was offside. Have I completely missed something? Well, I've only watched it as as I watched it live during the game. Um, and I will be honest, I didn't watch it through a totally legitimate route. So the, the commentator was Portuguese and my Portuguese is non-existent. <laughs> um, but I didn't notice the, the difference in, in colour or, or it didn't flag up to me. I'll tell you what I saw and, and, I, and I thought it was just me being, me not looking properly. But I've spoken to a few people since and they've agreed with me. The lines didn't look parallel. The lines did not look like they were completely horizontal across the pitch. If you look at the eighteen edge of the 18-yard box, which you presume on a Europa League match night that the groundsmen have got completely parallel with the byline, i.e. it's a completely horizontal line, the lines that they've drawn on for the offside, to me did not look parallel with the edge of the 18-yard box. And I kind of... I think the other thing, and I don't want to get back into VAR, but you there's a reason that the linesman or assistant referee, I'm sounding, showing me age there, the assistant referee, there's a reason the assistant referee is always, well, as best possible, in line with the defence. So they can look straight along the line and make a decision. The camera we were looking at it from and the camera they drew the lines from was 
I don't know, probably halfway between the halfway line and the edge of the 18-yard box. So it's being looked at at an angle. The lines look like they've been drawn on a, an angle. Now, I do not know the ins and outs of the science and the and the and how VAR actually draws its lines, whatever. I don't know anything about that. I'll have to say that. But what I'm saying is what I saw. And it didn't look to me like the lines were parallel. And that's what made Dakar offside. Because I'm looking... In, in in my head, I'm imagining where I think the parallel line should go. And it doesn't look offside. You, As you said, in real time, when you're when you were calling the game... You wouldn't, you wouldn't, I can completely understand why you wouldn't have even thought for a second that there'd be any, any indication of an offside. It's, it looks to me like a completely legitimate goal. And I'll tell you what, if the lines are swapped over as well as not straight, then we started this podcast with the wrong VAR run. Again, it just looked really odd because I was following the lines up. That is the wrong line. That's on DACA. That's on, so this is, this should be onside. It looked very, very close. They can't have made a decision that bad, can they? I, I don't know. <laughs> Not twice in a week. The, the thing is, though, Rob, Leicester scored fairly quickly after, what, a few minutes, uh, five minutes, five minutes after Harvey Barnes scored. So what effect it actually had on the game, minimal, because, again, five minutes later, which maybe was the case that why everyone kind of just kind of glossed over it because we scored. And I, there was there was one or two tweets, was it? Um, a few people say, "Hang on, what's going on here? This is this is a a real bizarre decision by VAR." But oh, look, Harvey Barnes has gone on the end of a pass from Cletiacho, and then he's he's he scored. What a, what a lovely goal, and what a great goal it was, and what a great feeling in the ground. That goal goes in. You think you're going to win the game? Sixty four minutes gone, two nil up, and uh, it's not home and hose. But here we go. You know, an opening win in the Europa League, but it wasn't the case. Because uh, Victor Ozzyman, who's a, a first half, he couldn't hit a barn door, the banjo, couldn't he? It was it was terrible. Just a, it was just, it, it, it nothing worked for him. He, he had a left-footed shot, and it looked like he's never swung his left boot before, and um, it went high and wide and not very handsome. And then in the second half, he had a another shot, which again was quite dreadful to be honest, snatching at things. And it's like, who is this guy? Must admit completely passed me by really until saw him on the team sheet realize he signed for what 50 odd 60 million quid but then we saw we knew he looked physically strong but pace wise by christ i i think we'll be lucky to see a player quicker than that we know dacca's quick and obviously vardy but he is absolutely lightning fast lightning fast and the first goal brilliant goal strength i mean vestergaard being the tall man he's he's obviously going to have leverage just nothing on this guy couldn't get couldn't get anything on him in terms of strength and he ends up lobbing over top of schmeichel and then the header okay relatively simple-ish header but still over the top of soyuncu no chance. And there's no defender in the world who would have been able to live with him there in that position. Goalkeeper's got no chance. And you're like, hang on, this guy is a proper, proper player. And then you look at his past and you look at uh, the illness he's had with COVID, etc. So this is a guy who would really kick on this season in Serie A and be uh, arguably top scorer or, or really make a name for himself. So, 
yeah, hell of a player. But it was the substitutes really for me that did it. So just before they brought on, um, like Jesus came on. He looked, um, he looked really good. Uh, Batanga as well. Uh, Elmas who came on just before Leicester scored. I think Leicester scored almost as they were trying to sort out their defence and their midfield. And and those players came on for them who did really well. There was a bit of criticism for Rodgers with the subs that they made. I think it's quite easy for people to say, well, the team's doing very well, don't make any changes. Now, it sounds an obvious thing, actually, doesn't it? You know, And I would be in that camp up until maybe later on in the game than maybe others. But you're, you're bringing on... You're having to bring on Soyuncu anyway. Uh, you're bringing on Yuri Tillemans. <laughs> you're bringing on um, Luckman for Vodaka. And then you're bringing on James Madison, who actually did all right, you know, on occasion in the game. So it's not like you're bringing on um, terrible players. I think the Madison for Sumare was the one, but he had a really good game up until then and was probably blowing a bit because it was one of his first games. So it was overall, I think, a, a deserved result. For both sides, I think a fair result overall two two, and then there were there was issues in the ground. I don't know whether you've seen any any of the um, any of the, well the fighting essentially after the game in the stands, Rob. Whether it was reported on TV or not, I've seen. I, I didn't see it at the time. Actually, I'll, I'll be honest. As soon as the full time whistle went, I was I was a little bit disappointed that we'd uh, only drawn and I and I switched it straight off. But the the aftermath I saw the day after, yeah, it's. Um, doesn't cover anybody in in a in any glory really, but the the sad thing is it didn't particularly surprise me. I've got um, a lad that I used to play football with here in Sheffield has recently moved out to Naples. His girlfriend plays professional football over there, um, and he has told me in no uncertain terms what it's like there. They they live literally live football. Football is the life of many hundreds of their supporters, and they are typically quite an aggressive bunch I'm not saying that they are totally to blame for what happened um, at Leicester last week but I'm not hugely surprised um, my parents were at the game they said they noticed a, a much larger police presence than they expected um, when you consider it, the small number of Napoli fans that actually were in the ground um, so I think they were a little bit surprised by that, but I said afterwards, you know, this is this is the reputation that they come with. Yeah, and we're not going to go over any any particulars because there was stuff going on during the day, which I think people will know and seeing videos of, etc. Um, places where the Napoli fans, and I'm going to use fans very loosely because I would probably class the the what 300 or 400 or so, maybe slightly less than that, maybe 300 was probably about right. Um, who were in the ground, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if they're not actually, yeah, basically the the ultras, the 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 bunch who would just go, almost it's right. We're going, no one else is going, no one's getting any tickets. The club, right? Here's your here's your tickets. You lot go, and it's all kind of done and dusted that way. Um, it didn't look like it was, uh, basically random Napoli fans all together in one area. It looked like they were all very pally-pally and knew each other extremely well. So uh, we'll leave it at that. And there was and if you were if you saw any of the problems in the day or especially afterwards walking out of the ground and then as I left the ground very late because we were messing around with the equipment and stuff in the ground. Um there there was 
an awful lot of people waiting for the Napoli fans all the way up Rordykes Road, etc. So whatever happened there, again, we won't go into it because we don't know. And, you know, it's not really our place to really go into it. But yeah, it, it does raise a few question marks for then going to Naples. And um, and I think if you are going to Naples, then you, you would know the issues surrounding that and what's what with what. And listen, this podcast not going to change or do anything of that, so we're not going to uh, kind of go into it anymore. But yeah, so there were issues. We'll just basically say kind of we'll wait and see what UEFA say because it's typical, isn't it? You get all sorts of issues and problems happen all around Europe. This happens inside the ground at the end of the uh, end of the game, which some people would say was actually quite minor. Some people say, oh, it's the the first thing I've ever seen of that kind of nature. So it was quite um, n- not a very nice thing to see. And then UEFA probably couldn't come down and there's like a ton of bricks compared to other clubs in Europe. But anyway, we shall uh, we shall kind of gloss over that and uh, and move on. So the game against um, Millwall, just quickly, Rob, because we've got uh, we we are slightly running out of time. We've got uh, I will tell you my side, which because a mate of mine actually texted me uh, yesterday about the side I would play, and I had um, Ward. Castagna, Armati, Vestergaard and Thomas. Um, I had actually Hamza in the side with with KDH. Um, and then Luckman, Kelechi Inacho, Madison and Dakar up top. So Dakar and kind of um Kelechi Inacho as as a as a mid as a kind of forward two. So you could look at that as a four four two, really. Um and then Madison I've I've got in the side. Now he could be more deeper, and then KDH further forward. But I think, looking at that side, I would still have Madison in there just to give him a chance to get some form. It's all very well dropping a guy, but against Millwall, if he's not pulling his weight, if he's not playing well, then you could easily drag him at half-time. And if he gets dragged at half-time against Millwall in the in the Cup, then he knows he's not going to be playing against Burnley in the league. Yeah, it gives him an opportunity to... Well, it, it's a game where you can maybe afford to carry him a little bit and say, let's get some more minutes. He's likely to get on the ball a little bit more against Millwall. He is much more likely to have superior technical ability to the players that he's up against, against Millwall. I guess the only question mark is Millwall are typically a very physical side. And James Madison, as uh, listeners to this podcast will know, we, or particularly I, don't think he's very good at the physical side of the game. Regardless of whether he says he can play as a number eight in a box-to-box midfielder or not, I personally, in my humble opinion, don't think he can. Uh, I'm, I was just trying to think if, um, in, in terms of a starting eleven, if there's anybody else around the Leicester squad that needs minutes or, or wants minutes or deserves minutes. And, and off the top of my head, I think the players that you've named there is is pretty similar to what I would go with. I don't know... I don't know much about Millwall or what formation they're going to play, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I don't... Uh, I try to foc- not focus on that level of football, you know, and while we're not there, there, there will be some point in the future where, unfortunately, championship news is, is our news, I think, possibly, hopefully not. But, you know... Uh, I'm Premier League and Europa League only these days. If if Rogers feels like a two-man midfield of Chowdhury and Kin and Jewsbury Hall is not enough, then you might see uh, Samari getting some more 
minutes because he's looked good, he's looked fresh. It'd be a good opportunity for him to have more game time and then you could play uh, maybe maybe you'd play Chowdhury at the base of that and Dewsbury Hall and, and Samari is sort of either side of that. And you could still play the the three that you mentioned there. With uh, You could play Inacho as the central striker. You could play Lookman off the left uh, and Dakar, as I said, uh, for times periods of time against Mill. Uh, Millwall, Napoli was playing sort of right-sided forward, so you could sort of play a 4-3-3 in that respect. I think Luke Thomas needs a start um, because it's not harsh on him, but you know Bertrand was clearly going to come in and start as soon as he was healthy again. Um, Vestergaard, yeah, I, I think he could do with getting back up to speed a little bit more so that he can be that influence on Soyuncu. Uh, Amati we know really has done nothing wrong, but he's just, he's in that position in the pecking order. So it'd be good to give him some game time as well. I would, I'd agree with you. Um, maybe Samari for Madison for me, just to give a bit more security. Yeah. We'll see what, uh, what happens in that game. And then obviously we'll discuss the Burnley game and the lineup. And I would have again, Kelechi and Nacho in, in the side instead of Madison for that. So when it comes to predictions, Rob, what are you thinking then? Um, Millwall in the cup and then Burnley at home. I've got to predict Leicester are going to beat Millwall, regardless of what team gets put out. I think um, if if we you're saying don't panic, but or don't worry, whatever. I think uh, it's going to ask even more questions and and create a bit more unrest if we don't get a positive result against Millwall. Uh, you would hope that we'd have enough quality to do so. Maybe a set piece concession, uh, but I back Leicester to score two or three. I'll go three one against Millwall. Burnley, um, do you know what? Just because how fragile we look at from set pieces at the moment, I, I I don't necessarily see that we're going to keep a clean sheet against Burnley either. Uh, they're going to be harder to score against, so I'll say 2-1. I'm going 3-1 against Millwall, 2-1 against Burnley. Back-to-back wins. Come on. <laughs> well, I was going to go for pretty much the same scores, but the other way around, I'm going to go for 2-1 at Millwall. I know Millwall have got a few problems. I, I was um, doing the weekend... Uh, previews at work in the morning and Millwall, I remember they're playing Coventry, I think they drew but they had about eight players missing so they might have a bit of a bit of an issue down at the new den um, they've got plenty of issues there but uh, they've got uh, they might have a few issues on the pitch uh, so I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for 2-1 though I think Leicester will win but I think it might be just a tighter game and, and I think Rogers might make wholesale changes I think wholesale um compared to maybe just say hey, three or four. And then against Burnley, I'm going I'm to go 3-0. 3-0 home win, Leicester dominating, back on the front foot. Vardy's obviously been in really good form. And uh, and yeah, and, 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 and Kletchi and Nacho to score a brace. Why not? Uh, and, to, and to cause uh, Rodgers a few headaches by <laughs> by making him play him because he's scoring goals. And, and scoring goals is what Vardy's done. And he's scored, what, 150 goals now. Um, for Leicester, and uh, it's just a fantastic, um, fantastic mark, isn't it? One hundred and fifty goals for the club. Um, he's what fourth on the list. It's uh, in, in what two hundred and fifty games. So he's played two hundred and fifty Premier League games, and he scored one hundred and fifty goals overall for the club. One hundred and twenty goals in the Premier League, if you want to kind of 
put it like that. So, uh, so yeah, just uh, just another stat for Vardy, but it really is a landmark for a player to to not only score that amount of goals, but also to reach the 250 mark. And long may it continue, and long may he continue to reach those milestones for Leicester, because there was a period during last season where we thought, is this the the beginning of the end for him? But he looks sharp at the start of this season, uh, amongst the goals, and continues to be a very important player for Leicester, and, and one of the very best in, in the club's entire history. So hats off to him, and let's hope that he can reach a few more. Yep. Uh, and finally, a couple of things. Um, the first home game for the Leicester women uh, was at the King Power. Now, uh, I know they lost 3-1 to Manchester United, but by all accounts, I couldn't get that I was working. And, um, well, the attendance was, was fantastic. It was 4,700 and something. Absolutely brilliant attendance. And uh, I, I, they've got a really difficult start to the season. I think the next game playing Tottenham at home. But... Uh, a, a brilliant attendance and hopefully they can stay at them sort of levels and then get towards 10,000 for let's say the visit of Arsenal, Chelsea or Man City. That would be amazing. So just hats off to everyone who went by the sounds of it. It was a, a really good day, even though the result didn't go Leicester women's way. And, uh, and yeah, just a, a, a brilliant attendance. I could not believe that it was that many there. I've said, I said on the previous cast in the previous podcast that I, I'd, you can see 10,000 turning up for a game if it's marketed as well as it has been so far and if it's really pushed and if also, let's face it, if the team is successful. Now, first season in the WSL, this, that and the other, but if they start to pick up results, why not a game against, say, Man City or Arsenal on a on a sunny Sunday or, or whatever? They, they could really uh, attract a huge crowd. So that was just absolutely fantastic to see. Of course it was. And listeners, regular listeners to the podcast will know over many years we've been advocates of, of the women's game. And, and it's, a, it's a huge positive that they're playing a lot of the games at the King Power. That uh, opening attendance is very, very encouraging. Uh, and as you say, I think the fact that the profile of the, uh, of the WSL and the, the international game has grown so much that people more and more people will recognise, oh, actually, when Man City come, they've got this player, that player, this player, and that might drag in a few more. You know, as I know Leicester, the men's team at the moment, are are in the very fortunate position that because they're playing in the Premier League and they are successful and have won silverware recently, that it's a sellout every week. But let's say when when Leicester were playing in the Championship, you, you would get a larger attendance for the visit of a more famous team. And let's hope that that trend will will be the case for for the Leicester women's side as well to get yeah to get ten thousand um, in the King Power for for a WSL game especially because Leicester women are such a a new team in the in the sense that that they're new to to being part of the the whole club in terms of being fully within fully integrated into the club It'd be fantastic to see. And also, it won't be a gimmick as well. It won't be like, let's say, an Arsenal, obviously a club I know very well, the Arsenal women, uh, when they play at, say, the Emirates. This this will really jog a lot of teams to go, hang on. Uh, for, for example, they play at Boreham Wood. Now, they, on a big game, will fill Boreham Wood to its maximum attendance. It'll be about, say, 3,000, 2,500. Two I know for a fact that when I mentioned the attendance, there were 
plenty of eyebrows raised as in really wow here we go and it was almost looking around going we we need a bigger boat <laughs> it's it's growing so quickly we've outgrown that ground whether they'll move to the emirates or not i can't see any reason why not exactly the same way as women uh, at leicester have moved to the king power so so there we go fantastic there and, and and just to finish on a we had an email uh from uh sam cook who sent an email i was talking about um adam luckman he was uh uh, excited really because uh, of what well I was going on I was going mad about him weren't I saying what a what it could be a really good signing it's obviously started quite good as well so you know I might have been quite right on that um, and he says he mentioned about being uh, possibly like Nathan Dyer essentially in that loan signing and, and hopefully he can have the same kind of impact so um Anyway, he, did, he mentioned about other signings, say like Jesse Lingard. Do you think it was the price too high, really, that Leicester didn't go for him? I, I think it's obviously going to be the case in terms of the the signing in transfer fee, but also also whether the player wanted to move as well. I think if Leicester... I think Lingard would be absolutely fantastic, but I think if Leicester made an offer, um, I would probably say Lingard would say no. I'd rather stay United and try and fight, or I've I've got the possibility still of West Ham. This is obviously in a transfer window scenario at the time. So I generally think that he probably wouldn't have come to Leicester anyway. His wages would have been astronomical as well. So I think there was a few reasons why he wouldn't have been a signing. But he would have he would have been a perfect kind of player because of his position and the position that we needed in the side. And um but hopefully Adam Ola Luckman can can continue that form of the the final half an hour or final half of the uh, the game against Brighton and uh, and we'll see him hopefully at home against uh, Burnley ripping them to shreds. Mm-hmm.